Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I love uh, Advent season for numerous reasons, and one of them is to uh, see families come forward and, and uh, read the scriptures to us and uh, do so together. I, um, I am blessed by that, and uh, we, we pray that you are blessed by that as well. This morning, we're going to be speaking from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and you already observed that today is the first day of Advent, and so our first Advent Sunday. And uh, so we want to uh, introduce a series that we're going to be going through this um, this Advent season. We're going to be looking at the uh, lyrics of Christmas or the songs of Christmas. Uh, in Luke chapter 1 and in subsequent chapters, you see that there are various bits of poetry and songs that various people sing that have to do with uh, with the birth of the Savior. And so we want to spend this uh, Christmas season focusing on those. So you're turning to uh, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 26, and we're going to go all the way through 55, though the uh, focus of our attention is going to be on Mary's song, the Magnificat, that's there at the end. But uh, of course, this is the beginning of the gospel. This is the very start of the story, and there's not a whole lot that has gone on before, except that we have the birth of John the Baptist has been foretold, and and uh, now we're going to see uh, during this time that there's going to be a presentation uh, by an angel to Mary herself. And so we pick up the story there in Luke chapter 1. Start reading in verse 26, and I'll read all the way through, like I said, through verse 55. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment 
of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We declare that you are our God, creator of all things and sustainer of all. And this time of year, we get to worship you also for sending your son, recognizing that you are also uh, the, the one who redeems You are our Savior, as Mary says. You sent your Son, born into this world as one of us, to bring redemption, to bring forgiveness of sins, to bring deliverance, salvation to your people in fulfillment of your promises. And so we worship you and we praise you for what you've done in Christ and we praise you for what we're going to talk about today in the promise of you sending your Son even to the Virgin Mary. Father, we ask that you would bless our time. We ask that you, by your Spirit, would work in our hearts, that we would see truly what is in this text, that we would be convicted by it, that you, by your Spirit, would work in our hearts through the proclamation of your Word, even this morning. Father, I pray especially this time of year that you would help us to set aside those things that would distract us, things that have gone before or things that perhaps come afterwards or things we're worried about or even excited about. Father, may we be right here, right now, with our eyes on your text, with our heart open before you. Do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Despite what the song says, Christmas may not always be the most wonderful time of year. My first Christmas as a Christian was kind of a mixed bag, actually. On the one hand, as a brand new Christian, I was rejoicing and praising God for what he had done in sending his son Jesus into the world for me. And it was the first Christmas of my life that I had ever understood that. And I was 19. On the other hand, it seemed like any other day. Rather than uh, than spending intentional time praising God for this saving work that God had done on my behalf, I was out enjoying a day off and riding three-wheelers. And after I got tired of risking my life there, I uh, instead quit that and went to see a movie with a friend. And so here it was, my first Christmas as a believer, but in many ways it was just another day. We can easily lose the unique blessedness of celebrating the birth of our Savior. It's easy to miss that in the shopping, in the press of life, vacations, Uh, Maybe it's a sad time of year for us. We can lose that blessedness. And what if this season doesn't really excite you about the Lord like 
like you know it should? What if you don't really get worked up spiritually about the birth of Christ at Christmas time? What if Advent has sort of lost its spiritual luster with you? Or maybe you don't even know why anyone should get worked up about it at all. Jesus' mother Mary, she has a great response to this message that she would give birth to the Savior. And it resulted in this great song of praise that we call the Magnificat, which is a Latin word meaning praises, the Magnificat. And in that great song, she shows us why we should praise God for sending us the Savior. And so as we look through our passage, we're going to see various aspects. And again, we're focusing on verse 46 and following. And there in verse 46, we see Mary praise God for personal blessings. She praises God personally. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her first response to this miraculous virgin birth to this working of God in her life that will be for everyone is a deeply personal response. Her soul magnifies the Lord. Her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. She gives God glory for what he's doing, and she does so from the deepest part of who she is. She gives God glory. She gives God praise. She magnifies the Lord. She makes much of Him. She builds up His name. She's worshiping Him. And her spirit is rejoicing in God, her Savior. So her first response is a very personal response to this work of God. We need to follow her lead and also praise God personally during this time of Advent. But beyond that, we should also praise God humbly. Look at what she says in the beginning of verse 48. She said, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She praises God humbly. She's aware of her situation. She's She's a humble person. She's not wealthy. She's not important. Uh, there's nothing, nothing special or noteworthy uh, that others would notice about her. She's just a young girl. She's a virgin. And she's betrothed. She's not married yet. And she's in a humble estate. But, but if you think about it, that's not unusual. That's not a terribly humble estate. She's an unmarried young woman. But the fact is, I think she's talking about something much deeper. I think she's talking about her spiritual need. She's aware of her own sin. And she's aware that that really Almighty God visiting a lowly young woman who is aware of her own sin is a powerful thing. And she praises God humbly for His work, His coming down to her in her spiritual, weak and needy position. She knows God as her Savior. She fears the Lord and she knows that she needs His mercy. This is important for us to notice. She doesn't have an exalted view of herself. Later, church tradition would develop a much more exalted view of Mary, but she doesn't have that view of herself. And you and I need not to have an exalted view of ourselves. We ourselves Also, we're in a humble estate, a lowly estate, a state of being guilty as sinners before God. We may look special or we may not. 
People may think we're special or they may not. But the fact is, at the core of who we are, we all are sinners. And so Mary doesn't have an exalted or unrealistic view of herself. She knows God is graciously doing a marvelous work inside her womb, and she praises God humbly, aware of her own need. And we can take a cue from Mary. And as we celebrate Christ's birth, we too should be praising God humbly, realizing our true state apart from Him. The more we realize that true estate apart from Him, the more we will praise Him for what He has done. So she praises Him humbly, but she also praises God intelligently. Intelligently. Look what she says at the end of 48. Therefore, behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. Now, think about this. There's a reason why I chose the word intelligently. She praises God that he would visit her in her humble estate. We often think of her humble estate being unmarried and pregnant. She wasn't pregnant when he visited. But she's aware that now he has visited her. He has begun that work in her. And what's the immediate result of that work in her life, of the work that God is doing? What's the immediate result? Well, now she's an unmarried young woman and she's pregnant. And she's not pregnant by her husband her betrothed husband. Now she's in an even tougher spot. And she's aware of that. She's she's well aware. Any young woman would be well aware of that. And she knows her own situation. She knows her plight. And yet, what does she say? From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's looking at the end result. She's not looking at the immediate struggle. She's looking at what is going to happen, what God is going to accomplish, even though it means that she has to go through difficulty, vast difficulty in this culture beforehand because she's a single woman. She's unmarried. She's betrothed, but she's not married, and now she's pregnant. And uh, we learn by looking over at Matthew that actually Joseph, when he learned of this, what did he want to do? He was a righteous man, and he wanted to put her away. So she risked a lot. She was in danger of being alone in major ways, and yet she understood that she would be considered blessed by all generations going forward. And of course, she has been. We think back now about Mary, and we think about what a godly woman, what a blessed woman, what a special situation that this was. For he who is mighty has done great things for Mary. We all need to value God's deliverance like that, even when it comes at a cost. And so this Christmas season, we need to praise God personally and humbly and intelligently because we know of how blessed we are to have the Savior. And you, you might be a young person out here, and you find that in today's world, being a Christian can come with a pretty hefty price, especially uh, when it comes to your peers. Your peers may be out partying. They may be out drinking and having fun while they're young and they can still do that kind of stuff. And here you are, sitting at church on a Sunday morning. That meant that you had to get home at a reasonable time last night. That means that you have a certain other standards that might actually make you look a little bit like a, like a stick in the mud uh, to your friends. Like Mary, you are realizing that your immediate plight as some might see it, is being worsened by the demands of God in your life. 
Young person, as you celebrate Christmas this year, you need to praise God humbly and with an intelligent awareness of just how blessed you are that God sent his son for you, regardless of the immediate price to you. Or maybe you aren't so young, and maybe you just find that Christmas has gotten kind of stale. It's interesting as a preacher to preach Christmas every year because it's Christmas. It's the same thing. And it happens every year. <laughs> and you talk about it and you talk about it. But maybe Christmas has gotten a little bit stale for us. Maybe, maybe it's become more about gifts. Or maybe it's even more about family or more about friends. Though those things are important. Maybe it's become more about those things than it is about the gift of Christ for you. You might need to take some time this Christmas to think honestly about your own humble estate without Christ. And praise God then from the core of your being that he has looked on your humble estate and he has done great things for you. Returning to our passage, we see that uh, we also need to praise God for his mercy. We see Mary move on in the end of 49 there and she's going to praise God for his, for his holiness. She says, holy is his name. And I don't, I don't, th- this is the beginning of a new sentence, I believe. The Greek doesn't have punctuation like the English does, and most of our English Bibles could tack this on to the end of the sentence before. I believe she's beginning something new. I believe she's beginning a new idea, and that new idea is that He is holy. God is holy. And of course, that's a consistent message throughout Scripture. We learn about the holiness of God in all kinds of passages, but particularly we learn about it in Isaiah chapter 6. We read Isaiah's words about his vision of the Lord in the temple and the seraphim calling to one another, remember? And they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so we have that holiness repeated three times. God is making a point God is holy. And that's a consistent message throughout Scripture. And I think that's exactly what Mary is calling to mind when she says, and holy is His name. Can you imagine if Almighty God weren't holy? Can you imagine if He was more like us, only stronger? He had all power and He could accomplish all things He wanted. And yet He was selfish like I am. Can you imagine a God like that? Can you imagine the the nightmare that this world would be, that this life would be if Almighty God were fighting and working against everyone, selfishly, sinfully? This would be a horrific world. What a terrible situation that would be. But God is holy. His reputation is that He is holy. Everything in the Bible points to His own separation from sin and His own hatred for sin. And praise God for His holiness. And because His holy, He is holy and we are not, we rightly praise God for His mercy. And Mary praises God for His mercy. Look at verse 50 in His mercy. So right after she said, His name is holy, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, God's holiness is at one and the same time, it's good news, it's blessed news, and it's terrible news for us. Because we are sinners. 
And God's holiness means that he keeps sin at a distance. It cannot remain in his presence. And you and I have sin on us. And so we're in a bad spot. When we think about God's holiness, it should cause us to to shake just a little bit. And I believe it caused Mary to shake just a little bit because her very next words were, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God's holiness is not the end of the story. He's also a merciful God. He doesn't always give us what we deserve. He gives us his mercy that we don't deserve instead of the wrath and the judgment that we do deserve. God is merciful. And Christmas, the Advent season, is about that mercy of God, specifically in the birth of his son Jesus, who was born for us. And we will celebrate today in communion who died for us. Mary praises God for his holiness, which drives her also to praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his mercy. Christians have every reason to praise God for his mercy this morning. And along with Mary, we should praise him and fear him. And that's what Mary does. She praises him and she fears him. Look look at what she says again in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The way we avail ourselves of the mercy of God, rather than just receiving the punishment for offending his holy name, is to fear God. And we defined the fear of the Lord last week in this way. We said it's the awe that fills the heart with reverence and inclines the will to adoration. To fear the Lord means to reverence Him. In my mind, it's the idea of being at Niagara Falls with all of those millions of gallons of water rushing by and it's frightening and it's loud and it's wet and it's huge and it would cause you to shake a little bit and there you are standing right at the edge. But there's a rail. And so you stand there and you shake a little bit. But there's a rail. Or a little bit like my family this last year, we got to go to the Grand Canyon and we have little ones. And if you have little ones, you know that that was a nerve-wracking experience. Because it's the Grand Canyon. It's a mile deep, right? And there's a rail and the big kids know, except when they're teasing us, right? They hold on to the rail or whatever. And we kept those little ones attached. You know, they, they weren't going anywhere because that's fear. Were we scared? Were we thinking we were in imminent de- danger, that we were going to die immediately, that the, the Grand Canyon or the, uh, was going to eat us? Well, no, of course not. We, we were careful, and yet I can tell you, right, that our knees were a little bit shaky, and my wife was very happy to drive away from there to lower ground where there aren't such big holes. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's like, a, it's like the way the, a son looks at his father. His father is unimaginably more powerful than him, but it's his father and he's the son. And there's, there's a respect there and you, 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 you're not rude to your father. You don't disrespect your father, but he's your dad and you have this relationship. And so there's a degree of fear there. He properly fears his father. And in the context of the birth of the very son of God, whose death would make ultimate mercy possible for sinners, Mary tells us this fear of the Lord is what elicits his response of mercy toward us. And we get to celebrate how exactly that mercy can be ours today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But she praises God 
and she fears God. And this Christmas season, folks, we need to praise God for his mercy toward us. And we all need to have that kind of fear and that kind of reverence for God. Some of you are still thinking that you are in your own selves somehow good enough to impress God. You're thinking that somehow you will end up on the right side of the scales. The balance will go your way. You can impress God in yourself, but I'll tell you, this can be a very subtle lie. Maybe in your mind, Christianity is about what we do, but you need to understand today. I pray that you understand today that God is too holy to be impressed by what we do by what sinners do. We, ha- we must have His mercy that is offered to us in His Son. You need to fear God and trust in the Savior. And at that point, you will have every reason in the world to praise God for His mercy towards you, which He will give. Or maybe you're someone who understands very well about God's holiness and the fact that you need mercy, but... I ask you, when was the last time you took a significant amount of time to sit and ponder that fact? When was the last time you took time just to think about where you would be without the mercy of God, Christian? Where would you be? Christian, you need to praise God again for His mercy towards you. And that's what we celebrate this Advent season. And in these last verses, we see that we also need to praise God for His character. Praise God for His character. Well, first of all, we praise Him, and Mary praises Him for resisting the haughty. Resisting the haughty. And there's a little bit of uh, some mixture here in the poetry of some things that God does to stand against the haughty versus the things that He does to support and uphold the lowly. And I've pulled out the beginning of... 51, excuse me, the end of 51, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The beginning of 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. In the end of 53, the rich, he has sent away empty. God is not opposed to wealth. He's not simply opposed to the rich. That's not what's being said here. Look at what these people are like. What God is opposed to is those who are mighty in their riches and their power, and they are proud of that. They are secure in that. That wealth, that power, that might is what will protect them. God resists those who are haughty. He resists those who are absorbed in their wealth and they think only of themselves. They don't, they don't feel any need to care for their hurting brother and sister. They only think of themselves. The haughty are the ones who lord it over the rest of us with their wealth and their power and their self-serving pride. Those are the haughty. Those are the ones that God works against, the ones He resists. And Mary praises God that God resists the haughty. And we need to praise the Lord that He resists the haughty. And we need to praise Him for raising the lowly. That's what Mary does. Look at the end of 52 and beginning of 53. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. She's already said about herself, that's her. She recognizes that that is her, that she's in a lowly estate. 
The judgment made by the haughty is not the final word concerning the lowly and the downtrodden. And if we think about the ministry of Jesus that he's going to minister throughout his life, it bears this out in very practical terms because he continually ministers to the outcasts, to tax collectors, to sinners. Those are the people who respond to him. So often it's the outcast. So often it's the one who's obviously a sinner who is willing to respond because they know that they are a person of lowly estate. And God raises the lowly. My desire for each of us here is that we would realize our own lowly estate. My prayer for you is that you would realize that about yourself and that you would begin to praise God for the fact that He raises the lowly. Maybe not in your station in life. That may never change. Maybe not in your social standing. Maybe not even in your economic standing. But He raises the lowly. We need to praise God for that. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he teaches his disciples, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a reversal. God resists those who are proud. He resists the haughty, but instead he raises up those who are lowly. And we need to praise God for raising the lowly, like you and like me. And finally, she praises God for remembering the promise. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God had promised to Abraham back all the way in Genesis chapter 12, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then later on in chapter 17 of Genesis, he develops that further and he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And ultimately throughout the course of the Bible, it finds its culmination in what we celebrate today. And so, believer, this Christmas season, we need to praise God for His character, that He delights to raise the lowly, and that He remembers His promises, even as we have fulfilled today. And so, would you consider yourself among the lowly in society, maybe? Maybe not even outwardly, but you know that if people really could see into the recesses of your heart, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. Would you be an outcast if people really knew what you were like? I would be an outcast if people knew what I was really like. This Christmas season, starting now, you and I need to praise God that His character is such that He delights to raise the lowly. Or maybe you're on the other end of that spectrum. Maybe you've got everything going your way. Maybe everything is, uh, is, is looking good and is turning up good for you. Be sure that you don't begin to rely on that success or trust in it because God resists the haughty. Remember your own spiritual need despite what, uh, what needs you may not have, despite the fact that you may have plenty in every other way. Remember your own spiritual need and praise Him that He raises those who know just how lowly they are without Christ. And so this song, this Magnificat, is a wonderful and beautiful song that directs us in every line. Praise God for these different things. 
And so our application this morning is that we would praise God in these different ways. I'm challenged to think about this. I'm challenged in, in what Mary has brought up here to give him praise. As I think about Christmas and, and if my first thought is, oh, another series to preach and how can we make it interesting and not like the last uh, 15 or whatever, instead of rejoicing in God, my Savior, and what he has done for me in Christ. That is what Christmas is for. That's why we celebrate it, so that we will praise God, so that we will, will rejoice in what he has done for us in Christ, that we celebrate this time of year. And so if your heart is cold, if your heart is distant, if, truth be known, you really couldn't care less about Christmas except for the presents and some time off work, you need to step back and you need to think about your own lowly condition and contrast that with the mighty work of God. Praise God for His mercy and particularly for His mercy that's represented at Christmas and that we get to celebrate now. And so as the men come forward to help us serve the Lord's Supper, again, this is the first Sunday of Advent season. And we have the opportunity to celebrate here what the Lord has accomplished, that He remembered His promises to His people, particularly that promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 17, and He fulfilled it in the death of Mary's son. So what a blessing that we get to come and and do this together. And this is not a a ritual. This is is a, a means of worship. This, like Christmas, is something to draw our attention to what God has done. Particularly as we celebrate Advent this time of year and the Lord's Supper even today. And like I said, this is not a ritual. This doesn't accomplish making you holy or making you right with God in some way. This is to draw our affections to God. This is to cause us to remember what has been done for us. And so it's for Christians. It's for those who have placed their faith in Christ. It's for those who look to him and realize their own spiritual lowliness and know that they must avail themselves of the mercy of God. And they have put their faith in Christ himself, the one and the only one who can make us right with God. The Lord's Supper is for Christians. It's for believers. And I would challenge you as the, as the elements are going around, take that opportunity, Christian, and think about your own condition and praise God for raising you in your lowly condition, that he would make you a child of God because of faith in Christ. Give him glory. And maybe, maybe there's something in your life, maybe, uh, maybe there's, there's sin that you haven't dealt with. God forgives sin when we bring it to him and confess it. So use this opportunity, even as the elements are going around to do that, to give God glory from deep within, from your spirit, from your soul, and magnify the Lord and praise God, your Savior, in this time. And if you're not a believer, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to be able to talk about Christ and what he's done for you and talk about your lowly condition and how God rejoices to raise the lowly. But as the elements are being passed, if that's you, just let them pass. Just let them pass. Perhaps you have a relationship that you haven't dealt with. We need to get that dealt with, Christian. And so, as we serve the the bread and then the cup, just hold on to the bread and we'll all partake together. And then when the cup comes, hold on to that and we'll all partake of that together. As we come to the Lord's Supper, we, we remember there are two elements, the bread and the cup.
And they both represent Christ. And, and uh, Paul puts it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. So, men, if you would take up the bread, please. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice. We rejoice in you, our Savior. And we rejoice particularly that you sent Jesus who would go to the cross and offer up his body to be broken and bruised in our place to bear the punishment for our sins. Father, we thank you. And even as we partake of this bread now, be glorified and work in us. Cause us to think about our own condition. Cause us to be like Mary and praise you for raising the lowly, for giving us your mercy, for, for the fact that you keep your promises to us. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next, we come to the cup. Gentlemen, would you take up the cup, please? Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way also, he took up the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the new covenant. I thank you that you have... sent your son who gave his own life to institute that covenant, gave up his own life's blood spilled for us that we might have new hearts given to us, that we by faith in Christ are made new. We have even your spirit living within us. You write your law in our hearts. We get to be those who partake of this new covenant and we rejoice and we praise you. We praise you for forgiveness of sins And uh, without the shedding of blood, there is none of that. And the picturing, the the prefiguring of all of the sacrifices of the uh, old covenant, all of that shedding of blood was just a picture pointing to Christ who once for all shed His blood to pay that penalty for our sins, and we get to benefit from that. Father, we thank You and we praise You. And even now as we celebrate, even now as we take the cup, we bring to mind... Jesus offering his life in our place that we might be included in the new covenant. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Gentlemen, you can be seated. Thank you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Advent has a direction. Christmas has an end. And it's, it's not the you know, 26th of December. Christmas has an end, and it's this. It has a purpose. It has a direction. It's building. And it's the Lord offered for us. And so we praise God for that. And as we celebrate this Christmas, as we celebrate this Advent season, let's call to mind what exactly God was doing when he sent his son born of a young woman, a virgin young woman. This is the time of the month where we take a uh, special offering, a benevolence offering for those particularly in our congregation who are in financial need. And so there's a, uh, a box in the back of the room here and then there's a tray in the foyer there uh, for that purpose. At the end of our service, uh, in moments, there's going to be a family up front who would love to pray with you. They would love to praise God with you. They would love to uh, show you what it means to be a Christian, tell you that. They, they love to pray with you and minister in that way. Let me pray for us and then we will be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this great opportunity and this great song of Mary's, the Magnificat, that, that uh, causes us, that encourages us, that tells us to praise you for, uh, for these, these aspects of you, aspects of your character, that, that you are holy and you are merciful. And you resist the proud, and that, that once was me. But you raise the lowly. Father, I praise you for keeping your promises. I praise you for your work on our behalf in Christ that we get to celebrate during the Advent season and celebrate during the Lord's Supper. So we lift you up and we give you glory and we magnify your name. Father, we rejoice that we get to have this salvation, be in this new covenant and be able to talk to you. And I pray that as we go forward, we would take that joy with us into the Christmas season, that we wouldn't uh, get so uh, wrapped up in gifts or family or travel or time off or uh, whatever else we might, uh, might really, really love about Christmas, but uh, under and over it all that we would focus on Christ and we would rejoice and praise you for what you have done in this Advent season. So, Father, we love you and we trust you and we pray in Jesus' name. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth, in love. Amen and amen. God bless you, and you are dismissed.